Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered round him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, And yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Jenny, thanks uh, very much indeed. Please keep your Bible open to uh, that passage that we've just had read as we continue to look through this uh, section of Mark's Gospel. And uh, as we do, let me pray for us. Now, Father, we thank you that as we've turned uh, open uh, these pages of Mark chapter 5 in these last weeks, we've been amazed and astonished, and we pray that um, we would again be amazed by the power of the Lord Jesus, but not just amazed, but uh, that you, through this wonderful, amazing story, would strengthen our own faith in him, and we ask it in his name. I imagine that uh, anybody who's been a Christian for more than five minutes has had the feeling, uh, actually even if you haven't been a Christian ever, you've had the feeling that Jesus doesn't sometimes seem to do anything. 
I know many people feel it when they look at events on the world stage, when an atrocity occurs or when things seem to be out of control or when somebody particularly is elected to a high post, it looks as if heaven hasn't stepped in. Now, that said, I'm not thinking about the world stage really particularly this morning, but more personally. Uh, You know that moment when you want something to change in your life. Uh, You've prayed about it. You've gone to Jesus and asked him to do something about it, but nothing happens. Nothing changes. You wait, and as time goes on, you find yourself becoming increasingly impatient. Uh, You have no understanding of why there is this delay, and you continue to face this most difficult situation. It's not as if you're asking for something unreasonable. This is important. You might even be confident that Jesus is concerned about the thing that you're praying about because he said in his word he's concerned about that. Yet, it looks to you as if Jesus seems to do nothing. Well, we meet that very thing here in Mark chapter 5 and in the most dramatic way. And we've begun to look at this uh, situation and this desperate account uh, last week. Look again at verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying, please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. It is heartbreaking to read these words. Indeed, I've sat with parents going through this sort of thing, watching their children's health deteriorate, Uh, feeling utterly helpless. That's Jairus here. And uh, he was desperate, facing a situation that was completely beyond him. His precious little girl is dying and it seems no one can help him. Barring a miracle, she is going to die. And so Jesus went to the miracle maker. He went to Jesus and fell at his feet, verse 22. Jairus was a synagogue ruler, we're told, a respected man with a a significant position in Jewish society. But when you're desperate, all respectability and social convention goes out of the window. So in front of this huge crowd, he fell on his knees. He begged Jesus, please come and heal my little girl. And so, verse 24, Jesus went with him. All of that we saw last week. And then what continues, again, we saw this last week. Verse 24, a large crowd followed him and pressed around him. And a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. And you'll remember from last week, Jesus stopped and engaged with this poor woman who'd been hemorrhaging for 12 years. Uh, We saw it uh, last week. We felt for this poor woman all that she'd been through for over a decade of her life. But uh, what we didn't think about last week was how we really should be feeling the tension rising at this point. And Jesus has just received an emergency 999 call from Jairus. His daughter is dying. If Jesus doesn't get there soon, it will be too late. And yet he stops and talks to this woman. Now, yes, she has a serious need. She's been suffering for 12 years. That is no small thing. But really, it looks as if Jesus has got his priorities wrong here. This little girl needs urgent attention. Her life hangs in the balance. I mean, this is like an ambulance on the way to a suspected heart attack, turning off the blues and twos, pulling over to the side of the road and helping someone with chronic back pain. I'm not saying the back pain isn't important, but there's something more pressing here. 
Or it's like being in a crowded A&E department and a junior doctor attending a suspected broken arm while a car crash victim whose vital signs are plummeting with every minute that goes by is being left unattended in a, cruci- in a cubicle next door. Either, uh, either way, the, 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 the triage hasn't got it right. Either the triage has uh, not done the job properly or the junior doctor is about to be seriously reprimanded. Somebody's getting something wrong, aren't they? As Jesus stops to engage with this woman, we might well feel like shouting at the pages, but what about the little girl? She's dying. Hurry up, Jesus. And the intensity of that feeling reaches a crescendo at the end of verse 33. We saw all the other verses last week, so I'm jumping forward to verse 33. Do you remember this? As the woman and Jesus begin talking, we hear, verse 33, that she told him the whole truth. She went through everything, gave a blow-by-blow account of the past 12 years, of the bleeding, of the doctor she'd seen, of the money she'd spent, of the loneliness, the anxiety, the, the hopelessness, why she reached out to Jesus, what she hoped from him. She told him everything. We can say it in just five seconds. She told him the whole truth, but it must have taken forever. At least it would have felt like forever to poor Jairus. His little girl's life hangs in the balance. Jesus is his only hope. And there is Jesus distracted listening to this woman's story. Can you see in your mind's eye Jairus checking his watch, looking over his shoulder, fidgeting around, wondering what he can get to to do to get Jesus to hurry up? Now, how often we feel the same. We might never have been in such a desperate situation as this, but facing really important, difficult situations in life, we bring them to Jesus in prayer and nothing seems to happen. He seems to be distracted. He's focusing on something else, but he certainly doesn't seem to be focusing on your situation. I don't know what it is. You have no job. Or your employment situation is becoming unbearable. Or a precious relationship has gone pear-shaped. Or health issues don't seem to be resolved. It could be any number. It could be something else. These are important issues. You've prayed. You've gone to Jesus. Sometimes desperate. At the end of your tether, nothing seems to happen. And as time goes by, with every day, every week, every month that passes, things seem to be getting worse. There's certainly no improvement. And you become increasingly desperate. What is Jesus up to? Hurry up, Jesus. As you wait, it feels as if he doesn't seem to care about you. Isn't that exactly what we have here? This is a genuinely important issue. I can't think of a more important issue than the life of a little girl hanging in the balance. And Jesus appears to be doing nothing about it. In fact, at this moment in the narrative, he doesn't seem to care. Can you feel the tension? When you read it, do you feel impatient? And then while Jesus is speaking to the woman, we hear what must be the most devastating words any parent could ever hear. Verse 33, over the page. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Your daughter is dead. In the past, well, more than 25 years now of pastoral ministry, I've spent time with people who've heard these very words. Your child is dead. 
The pain is so utterly overwhelming that there are no words to express it. There are people here this morning who've felt it, who've heard it. The death of a child is just not right, but that's the devastating news that, that Jairus was given. And when that kind of thing happens, we often look for someone to blame. Well, uh, well, at this point in the story, you can't help feeling that Jesus was to blame. He seemed to get his priorities wrong. Giving attention to a woman with a chronic condition rather than dealing with a little girl with an acute condition. Had Jesus been a junior doctor, he just made a career-defining mistake. That said, were we talking about hard-pressed, under-pressure, inexperienced medics, we'd have to say mistakes happen and we're only human after all. But Jesus is not a doctor and he's not just human after all. We expect more of him. Well, we expect more of him, but interestingly, Jairus' friends didn't. End of verse 35, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Those are important words. If we think Jesus is just a teacher, then... Now that the girl is dead, he can't help anymore. If that's all he is, uh, we might think he's an exceptional teacher, but if he's all he is is a teacher, then he can't help us at this moment. Not at death, because death is our great undefeatable enemy. Oh, the human race has made phenomenal discoveries and made the most staggering advances over the years. There are many things that we can now overcome, but death isn't one of them. We might delay it for a time, but we can't overcome it and never will. So if Jesus is just part of the human race, a teacher, a great one for sure, but if that's all he is, then death has come. Don't bother the teacher anymore. He can't help now. But in the last chapter and a half of Mark's gospel, Jesus has controlled the weather with just a word. He's shown his immense power over dark forces of evil. He's been able to heal the woman with condition that baffled and beat every doctor on the planet. So we do expect more of Jesus now. And as we read on, that's exactly what we get. Verse 36, ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. (laughs) Let me tell you, I would never dream of uttering those words to someone who's just been told their child has died. Don't be afraid. I would never say that. Because I can't think of anything that there is more to be afraid of than death and the death of a child. This is the stuff of night terrors. So Jesus' words in verse 36 are either some of the most insensitive words a human being could ever utter or they are the words of someone who is supremely confident in himself in the face of death. And of course it is the latter. Face to face with death, Jesus is utterly confident. Don't be afraid, just believe. And so he takes control of the situation. Verse 37, he didn't let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and and, and wailing loudly. As Jesus arrived at Jairus' house, there was a huge commotion. People had gathered to mourn the little girl's death. Culturally, you see, they mourned in a very different way to British people. Walk into a home here in England when someone has just died and the house is silent. People speak in hushed tones. All you hear is the clicking, the ticking clock and a kettle boiling to make more tea and the quiet, stifled sobbing of a distraught woman. 
But in the Middle East, it's very different. It's almost chaos. We've seen it on the news. In Iraq or Syria, when another atrocity is reported, we see how grief is expressed through loud wailing, a public outpouring of emotion. That's what greeted Jesus as he arrived at Jairus' house. And Jesus said, verse 39, why all this commotion and wailing? Again, what sort of words are those? Why the wailing, you ask? Because the girl is dead. And we might want to add... Because you, Jesus, got your priorities wrong. But of course, before we were able to say our peace, Jesus continued, why all this commotion and wailing? The girl is not dead, but asleep. And verse 40, they laughed at him. I imagine it was a scornful laugh. They weren't stupid. They, as we do, know the difference between someone being asleep and someone being dead, so they laughed at Jesus. But while they laughed, verse 40, he showed them the door and took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went into the little girl's bedroom. Curtains drawn, low lighting, not a sign of life. And verse 41, he took her, the little girl, by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Mark translates Talitha Kum for us, little girl, get up, but... Now please feel the tenderness of these words. Talitha was a pet name, a term of endearment. We might translate it poppet, sweetie, honey. And coom, get up, are exactly the words parents say to their children to get them out of bed in the morning. Now look, I live in a house of uh, three teenagers. And to be fair, ours are pretty good at getting up in the morning. But I know there are times when waking children is all a bit frantic. Bursting into their bedroom, ripping open the curtains and yelling, It's gone eight, you're going to be late for school! Please, this was quite different. Talitha Coon, this is a quiet walking into the bedroom, laying a a gentle hand on your little one's head and saying, sweetie, it's time to get up now. There is such tenderness here uh, in these words. And then verse 42, immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. Well, I bet they were. It is astonishing. A dead girl is alive. And look at the lovely detail at the end of verse 43. Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Just a moment ago, she was dead. Now it's go and fetch a bowl of crunchy nut cornflakes. See, for Jesus, raising the dead is like raising someone from slumber. Now we see why he could say to the mourners, the child is not dead but asleep. Now we see why he could say to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. And now we see why Jesus didn't hurry when he first heard that the little girl was dying. And why he could afford to spend time talking to the woman who'd been hemorrhaging for 12 years. Because Jesus has power over death. Jesus can give life to the dead. For Jesus overcoming death is no more difficult than curing a fever. And no more difficult than getting a teenager out of bed in the morning, even though we might find that quite difficult sometimes. It's not actually impossible. And it's precisely because Jesus can raise the dead, it is precisely because he can raise the dead that he delayed going to the little girl so that he could demonstrate that he reigns over death. See, already in Mark's gospel, we've seen him heal people, many people from many different diseases. 
That's why Jairus went to Jesus in the first place. Jesus was able to heal. There was no question in Jairus' mind about that. Jesus believed that Jairus believed that Jesus could do that. But no one knew he could do this. So his delay, you see, was quite deliberate. Apart from being a compassionate and kind act towards the hemorrhaging woman, spending time with her was a quite deliberate issue of timing. It wasn't a lack of judgment or confusion over priorities, but a clear and deliberate decision to allow the little girl to die so that he could show that he could raise the dead. But as I say that, please see this was not a heartless act of showmanship from Jesus. Jesus didn't just put poor Jairus and his wife through the agony of losing their little girl so that he could show off. Jesus is not some egotistic poser making an exhibition of his superhuman powers. See, there is none of that here. Look back at the details. There was no public show. He asked all the mourners to leave the house. Verse 43, he gave strict instructions not to let anyone know about it. Earlier on in the passage, he only took his disciples with him, not the whole crowd. There's no melodrama. Jesus didn't walk into the bedroom, raise his voice and shout across the room, little girl, rise. Quite the opposite. The tenderness, wake up, Poppy. This wasn't all staged so that Jesus could show off his amazing power and receive praise from an adoring crowd. Because you see, this wasn't for his benefit at all, but for ours. This was all about developing faith. It was to bring Jairus and the disciples, and as we read it, us, it was to bring us to a point where we would have utter confidence that Jesus is Lord even over death. And that is something that we all need. Even those of us who already have put our trust in Jesus. You see, go right back to the beginning of the narrative and it's clear that Jairus did have faith in Jesus. In verses 22 and 23, Jairus believed that Jesus could heal his daughter. That's why, Jesus went to, to, that's why Jairus went to Jesus in the first place. Why he threw himself at Jesus' feet. Why he begged Jesus to heal his daughter. Jairus had faith in Jesus. He believed Jesus could heal. But this whole episode was about helping Jairus and us, helping his faith to grow. To bring Jairus to the point where he believed that Jesus could defeat even death. Or to use Jesus' words in verse 36, to bring him to growing faith, not fear in the face of death. And that is the kind of faith we all need. Because we're all going to face death. And if Jesus is going to be the one that we put our complete and utter faith in, then he has to deal with death. Or it's foolish of us to trust him. See, if Jesus can't do that, then he's no good to us, not ultimately. If Jesus can't defeat death, then he's no better to us than all the other things we put our faith and our trust in through life. Just last week, we saw how the hemorrhaging woman had initially put her faith in money and medicine. We do the same, whether it's health issue or a big struggle of life. We trust in all sorts of other things to deal with the difficulties we face. And we're not stupid. 
As I look out on the, on the people in front of me, you're not stupid people. Why do we trust these other things, money and medicine and people? Why do we trust them to deliver? Because very often they do deliver. Those things can get us better, help us through. Sometimes they do come up trumps. That's why we believe in them when, we, when we're in trouble. But here's the thing. None of them can deal with the problem of death. I felt that acutely nearly six years ago now when my mum died. In the last days of her life, my brother and I sat with her day after day waiting for the inevitable. It wasn't anything that we, should, that we shouldn't do. Any son would do the same. As I drove to the nursing home early one morning to sit with her again... One of the news stories I heard on the car radio was that the Euro Millions lottery jackpot would be, at that time, the largest it had ever been that weekend. A prize of, I don't know, tens of millions of euros. I can't remember how much it was. And I said to my brother as we sat next to my mum's bed, you know, we could have all the money in the world and it wouldn't solve the problem mum is facing right now. Of course, it's not just money. Nothing can deliver us from death. Death is our great enemy. And that ultimately is why everyone needs Jesus Christ. And even those of us who know that already need to learn to trust Jesus with our death. And you see, as we look at Jairus, I think we see here how we can learn to trust Jesus with our death. We learn to trust him in other things at times when there seems to be delay, when nothing seems to be happening. Even when I've talked to Jesus about a difficult thing in my life. Sometimes, I don't want to say always, but sometimes in those times, he is lovingly delaying, taking me through situations that are difficult so that I learn to grow in trust of him, so that when I finally have to face the biggest test of them all, my own death, I've learned to live a life of trusting him through maybe big things, but smaller things than that. And I've seen him deliver. Uh, Let me explain. Last week was not an easy week for me. Two of my friends died. Another one was diagnosed with cancer. It was one of those weeks. On Saturday evening at the end of the week, this was last week, I I had a call to tell me that my friend Alan had died. Uh, His grown-up daughter called me. And she went through the details of his last weeks Uh, and she said at the end Paul he was ready to go he knew where he was going he was trusting Jesus it was it was very touching to to hear her speak of of her dad and how he'd coped now as I put the telephone down I uh, asked myself where did Alan get that kind of quiet confidence in Jesus as he faced this terrifying prospect of his death well supremely it came from the bible came from Jesus' death and resurrection, came from passages like this one, seeing in history that Jesus can raise the dead to life. And it came from Jesus' promise to take home those who are his. But here's the thing, many Christians know these Bible accounts and know the promises and yet don't trust them with the same confidence that my friend Alan had. Why did Alan have such confidence? Well, on top of the Bible truths that he knew, and he definitely did, his deep trust in 
Jesus, at that point of death, came from trusting Jesus through the many trials that he and his wife has had to face in life. And they've had considerable struggles. I know there were times in their lives when they asked Jesus to change their situation. Nothing seemed to happen. Through those times, Jesus appeared to be preoccupied or not interested in Alan. Alan and Sheila might even have wondered if Jesus cared for them at all, but they kept trusting him. And in time, they spoke to me of the way they could testify about Jesus helping them through those difficult times. Not always how they expected him to answer their prayers, but helping them and equipping them all the same. So you see, Alan's faith in Jesus grew through those trials. And that, I think, is one of the reasons why Alan faced his death with such unshakable faith. The problem of death reveals our hearts like nothing else, doesn't it? It's one thing to say, I'm trusting Jesus when everything's going well. But faced with death when there's nothing else I can lean on, well then I know whether I'm really trusting him or not. And here we can see that we can use the experiences of life to grow in faith. To trust him when he seems to be delaying. To trust him when we're tempted to think he doesn't care. Supremely we can look at the promises in his word and his wonderful story of rising Jairus' daughter. Now that's how we can really trust Jesus with our death. But do you, see, do you see how he will use our experiences in life to help us grow our faith, if we will? And here as we see the tenderness with which Jesus took this little girl by the hand and gently said to her, sweetie, sweetie, it's time to get up now. As we see that, So we can be sure that for everyone who puts their trust in Jesus, when our time finally comes and we close our eyes in death, Jesus will be holding our hand. And we will close our eyes in death and at that moment, the next thing we hear is, it's time to get up now. Uh, Let's go and get something to eat, shall we? And it'll be Jesus speaking to us and he'll say, well, go and get something to eat. Well, let me tell you, you're in for a treat. The food here is delicious. You're in paradise. Let's pray together. Our Father, we acknowledge that... um, Uh, All around this room uh, this morning, there are many people who are facing many very considerable and difficult struggles in life. And we acknowledge that for some it seems as if nothing much is happening. And we think of world issues and we sometimes wonder what's going on. But we know that um, whatever is happening, that there is going to come an even bigger moment for us all that moment when we come face to face with our own death and so we pray that through these times of uncertainty through times of struggle we would be learning to trust you so that when we come to that moment when finally we do indeed close our eyes in death we would have had a lifetime of trusting you
so that we can trust you and as much as is possible, not be afraid, but believe. We thank you for this remarkable story of the Lord Jesus' great power over death. And we pray it would strengthen us now and in the future. In Jesus' name, amen.